0: Brian Falchuk overcame adversity, lost nearly 100 pounds, ran a marathon, dramatically changed his diet, and created an approach to help others live a better life every day. That way is do-a-day. Like so many people, Brian has faced challenges in life like obesity, depression, work stress, the responsibilities of parenthood, the potential of losing his wife to illness, and more. And he struggled like anyone else. But through his struggle, he learned the secret to not just overcoming any individual challenge, but creating a life of achievement, happiness, and harmony. In Do A Day, you learn how to make each day contribute to your goals so you can live the life you want to live, a better life. Do A Day frees you of the burden and judgment of yesterday's choices while relieving you of the pressure of what tomorrow may bring. By teaching you how to identify your true motivation and how to use that to focus on what you have to do today, Do A Day will help you change your life. I met Brian through his representative who reached out to me after finding People of Purpose as a highly rated podcast on iTunes. Thank you to you all for rating and reviewing my podcast. It's clearly the reason that Brian is on my show this week. I love the way I felt after my interview with Brian. I left the interview late morning in Thailand with a focused motivation that actually carried me to edit the entire episode we had just recorded right there on the spot. Brian does so many things really well, and he carries a glow as he does them. He has a spot on mindset. I'm honored to have had him as a guest. So please enjoy this episode with this fantastic person of purpose, Brian Falchek.
1: My wife got sick. She's a stay-at-home mom, and... um... No one could explain what was going on. She was just in tremendous pain and had all these symptoms and she couldn't take care of our son anymore. She was wasting away. And it got to the point at the end of June where she was, uh, just over a hundred pounds, couldn't get out of bed and her doctor was going on vacation. And the only thing he had to say to me was, um, I'll be back in six weeks. Let's check in then. And I was like, you know, do the math. She's losing two pounds a day. She will not be here in six weeks. And his only suggestion was, okay, we'll take her to the ER if you need to. And that was, uh, first of all really irresponsible on his part but that was this uh this forcing catalyst for me to wake up and it was in that moment that i walked back into our bedroom and you know my wife's in bed and my son's looking at her and it all just hit me is like what on earth am i doing you know my, my poor little boy my wife is still alive i should make really clear like i ruined the story in that way but i think it's worth it uh yeah thank you um this poor little boy is watching his mother die, and he's watching his father die, just at a slower rate. Yeah, you know, I was living my life just in in the wrong ways in every way that I could have. Um, I had lost 100 pounds coming out of my teenage years, and I had put back on about 45 of it. I was in a miserable job. Um, I was in pain. I had back surgery a couple years before that, or a year before that, and never really. Took care of myself in the way I needed to. Never dealt with the, you know, any of the childhood stuff from the the divorce of my parents, um, and now I'm facing losing my wife. And you know what? Every spouse or half of spouses will face losing their spouse at some point in their life, but usually it's when you're like in your 80s. Not typically when you're 32 and had your first kid and starting to talk about having your second. So this is not a reality I, you know, and ever could have planned for. And the, the gravity of all that is what forced uh, purpose upon me. And I woke up the next morning and I felt materially different and I'm very thankful that I was aware of that. And I, I had two choices. I could either be like, Oh, that's different and kind of continue back on the path I was on and it would fizzle or I could grab hold of it. And that's exactly what I did. So I latched onto that and it's from there that do a day really started to be how I live my life.
0: Yeah so what were those first things you latched on to you you talk a lot about and do a day of of these short-term goals being really important what were those first things you did that first day that you felt different
1: yeah so um the thing that i i was aware of was a sense of purpose that i hadn't had and that purpose at the time for me was around my son and there were a lot of reflection um and actually not even writing the book made this clear enough for me it was going through a bunch of, of uh, interviews. So this is my 88th appearance. And it's, uh, it, was, it was another podcaster who called BS on me um, for saying that my motivation, the thing that matters to me above everything else, my true motivation is my son. Because one of the things that I preach in my book and my coaching work and speaking is it's got to be something within you. And you know, here's this little boy who's definitely not within me. Now, as a parent, I can say that it's he is such a part of me and my feelings for him, like, it's like we're one, but the reality is he's not within me. And so the thing I've come to understand better is he's sort of a proxy for how I should be feeling about myself. And that's, um, not living that life, uh, as an employee of it, you know, like I, it's, it's not just, I need to be better for him, which is how I was feeling in that moment. Like this little boy needs me more than anything right. and I'm probably going to be all he has, um, it's it's like, well, I need me too, and I can't be there for him if I'm not there for myself. And that's kind of through this whole process and, and all the speaking I've been doing that I've started to realize another level beneath the, the sort of like, you know, my son is my reason. But he's the, the embodiment of it, if you want to call it that. And so I, you know, I took that power that I felt the next morning. I said, you know, there's a lot of things that are contributing to how I feel about my life and I got to change them. If my son is gonna have the father he deserves to have, I gotta change it. If my wife is gonna have a chance in hell to beat this thing with my help, I gotta change these things. And lastly for me, cause I, I wanna feel different. Um, and so the three key things were, one of them was my weight, you know, I was about halfway back to where I had been be- before. I didn't look obese. Um, I definitely was obese as a kid. But I just looked American. Like no one would've looked at me <laughs> and thought twice. Right. Um, but I felt miserable, you know, physically and emotionally, like it's all intertwined. And it's because everything I did was without any real uh, mindfulness or purpose to it. So I'd, I used to work out every day and like I'd get on the elliptical, I'd block the screen with a magazine, play some music, and next thing I know, it's beeping because it's done. And, you know, media was a little sweaty. So that morning I was like, if I'm gonna change my physical situation, I need to know where I'm heading. So I was two hundred twenty two pounds and i I set a goal and this was July first. I set a goal of um, one hundred and eighty five by the end of the year mm-hmm. So you know that's a real amount of weight. It's not like lose five pounds, like you know, don't eat for a couple of days or eat less and you'll get there like this is real. I have to plan for it, I have to take specific actions. I got to do something and I write down what I did every day and track my weight every day so I put structure around the whole thing I got on the elliptical that morning did an interval program and I pushed the heck out of myself like I was exhausted and drenched by the end of it but this huge smile because I was like I did that with purpose yeah and that's not how I've been doing anything you know so that was the first like I can do this one um my job wasn't wasn't getting to be in a good place. I joined a company that the founder was still running it and he had to step down. He, he, uh, he has cancer or he had cancer and he ended up passing away. Um, but when he transitioned out of the leadership role, um, some very capable, very skilled people came in, but their values were different. And so politics really crept in, in a way that they hadn't been there. And so I was, you know, not really enjoying my job anymore. And, and it was getting more and more disaligned or misaligned with my values. Um, so that was the second thing. And that was going to take a little bit more time and to do networking and think about where I want to head. Like that was more than just a, you know, by the end of the year kind of thing. Um, so that was another, another goal. And the last one was this thing I've been putting off since I was five years old. And that was dealing with the actual underlying reasons why any of these other things were not okay. You know, the, the, the issues within me that, um, Every time, you know, my wife has been super supportive of me talking to someone and trying to get some help for just working through what I'm carrying with me since I was a little kid. And I always had every excuse in the book, you know, oh, I'm too busy, or you don't understand, I go to work all day, and I come home, and then, you know, you need me, or I want to spend time with you guys, or, and now she's sick, so it's like, I can't just leave, you know, and we've got these medical bills for you, I can't add my, you know, every excuse, and they're all valid, and I can still go. So right. it's like, yes to all of that, and here's the phone number, you know? Right. So- um,
0: Being accepted for it, who you are.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I, 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 we found a way. Like I made time, we got some help, and I started talking to someone, and it was really helpful. Um, and it wasn't like I went to five sessions and I was done. That's something I, I will continue to work on. And so when you said short-term goals, you know, I had specific goals about getting to a different place, but none of them was so time bound as to have passed and then been irrelevant. So like when I work with someone on their wellness, it's not like, you know, get in shape for your wedding or for your high school reunion or for beach season. Like that's something that as soon as that event happens, where are you left? And you hear this from runners who race is like, as soon as the race is over, they're desperately looking for another race because suddenly they have no direction yeah. So for me, it wasn't about like get to 185 and you're done, or do five sessions with a the therapist and then you're you're totally fixed. It's like, look, I'm trying to get to one eighty-five because I'm trying to have a healthy life. And so that's about like achieve a level and then there's a maintenance program that's gonna go into that. There's a different way of living my existence. Right. So I used to say like I spent the first half of my life obese and the second half trying not to be. I wanted to get to a place where I wasn't trying not to be fat because that like again like being an employee of your life That doesn't sound very good. Does it? Right. I just want to be a healthy person So this was about transforming my life and there were short-term goals in the sense of steps to get me there But now this is about who I am and being aligned to my values and that's like that's what I'm trying to live
0: right. So being an employee to your life what what wakes people up to realize that does it necessarily take a traumatic event like your son and your wife looking at you with you know remorse for yeah for the situation or how how can others wake up to their reality that they're an employee of their life and and deeply feel that they need to live a purposeful life that's aligned with their values because how do you wake up
1: for sure yeah and That's actually some of the pushback I get, especially with coaching clients, is they're like, you know, well, you had this thing thrust upon you, and so you kind of had no choice, and I disagree. I did have a choice, but I agree with them that it was thrust upon me, and they're like, you know, I have no one stuck a gun in my face. No one has, you know, taken my spouse from me, or, you know, like, whatever. You know, the first podcast I did, he has a Navy SEAL, and he was blown out of his vehicle by, I think, an RPG you know, a rocket propelled grenade, a rocket power grenade, and left for dead on the side of the road in, in the desert. Like that's a you know, that was his moment. Like you know, these are some serious, like change your life kind of epiphany moments. Um, and for people who don't have that or don't believe that they've had that, maybe they have and they just haven't valued it, um, they're like, so I can't change. you know I, I can't get better. I can't figure out my my true um, you know, my true motivation, my true purpose. And that's, I mean, that's what my coaching work is to help people figure that out. And I do think you can get there. It takes a number of questions and it takes a willingness to answer the questions and have the answers not be good enough and, and get in deeper underneath them. But all that is predicated on on two basic things is one, you got to get really introspective in a way that many people just don't do on a day to day basis. We all kind of live surface level, especially if you're doing that employee of your life kind of thing, right. you're just getting by, you're not really digging into it. So that's one. And that can be scary for some people. And the other is you get to start from a, a stable ground. And so I want to talk about the foundation that you're building is, is your motivate your motivation, but the foundation has got to be on solid ground and that ground is self love. And some people get kind of squeamish when I say that, like, yeah, that sounds hippie or touchy feely like, I don't really care how the word choice feels to you. The point is really solid. If you are putting yourself down, if you're boxing in your capabilities, it doesn't really matter what your motivation or your goals are, you're not gonna think you can do it. So how far are you really gonna get? Right. So you gotta work on just like allowing for the possibility that you can achieve something that you deserve to have these things that, you know, if you reach your goal, a lot of people don't feel deserving of that. And so they self-sabotage. And they may not be aware of any of that, but. I do find that pretty consistently. Like, you know, for anyone who pushes back, I'm like, go to someone's house for dinner and compliment them on the food and watch their response. And inevitably, like, be like, oh, the chicken was great. Yeah, but I over... Like, they say but, and yeah. then something they did wrong. Yeah, but I didn't season it. They, they may not even say yeah. They may not even say thank you. It's like immediately, someone said something good, I'm going to put up a wall and, you know force that goodness away because I must have screwed up.
0: What do you want your clients to say if they're in that situation? If they've made it really good chicken, what's the proper response for someone who has self-love?
1: It's pronounced. Thank you. (laughs) you Just say thank you. So what I tell them is stop the butt. Like as soon as you get to a place where either someone said something good to you about you, or even you have said it and and you feel that word, "butt" coming in, just stop. You know, I I was working with someone who um, was struggling to find a job and, and, It's just had this incredibly negative self-image. And so much of it was, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not a qualified candidate, et cetera, et cetera. To the point that she actually got a job offer and they were really desperate for her to stop, to start rather, um, because they they liked her so much. And she called me because she was really uncomfortable. She's like, something's very wrong with these people. And she wasn't kidding. She genuinely was like very uncomfortable that someone actually thought she was good enough, so they must be broken. And when we talked about, I'm like, you know, you went to college, right? Yeah, but it wasn't that good of a school. I'm like, wait, was it or wasn't it? She's like, well, it was a top 10, but it was like, okay, so it was a good school. Yeah, but it wasn't in America. Okay, but it was a good school in the context it was in, right? Yeah. How were your grades? I got, you know, just under a 4.0, I, you know, I made a dean's list or whatever, and, and I was like, that's great. Yeah, but it really wasn't relevant for what this job is. It's was like, wow, yeah. you, you went to a tough school and you got good grades, Okay. Um, you know, it's like, we, and, and she's like, but that was 10 years ago. And so even if it was, rough, I was like, I'm not talking about that. I wow. just said, like, you went to a tough school, you got good grades, just stop there. And she was just so uncomfortable. What
0: is that? That makes people, people like that. Is that a cultural thing to have to exercise some sort of feigned humility or is it some sort of self-loathing thing that's specific to certain people?
1: it can be all of the above. I do think societally and some cultures have this stronger than others, but you know, speaking to the U S like that is a big part of our culture and, and we pass it off as humility, but it's not, or we think it's funny, but like, you know, I tell people, listen, listen to people talking about how little they slept. You know, it's like, it's a competition to see who had it bad, who had it worse. Yeah. It's like, Oh man, you know, last night, like I pulled an all night. I got like two hours of sleep, two hours. They like, were, you like at a spa. You know, I didn't sleep at all last night. I was at the office until 5 a.m. this morning. I just went home to get a new pair of socks. Like,
0: we champion the hard work whatever. ethic.
1: Yeah. Like, we, we all have it so bad. and um, But society celebrates that. You know, the people who who are burning the candle on both ends, the people who have it so bad, um, there's always someone who has it worse. And we're, like, in this competition to put it down. So that's that's one reason. The other is I was a management consultant for six years which means my job and the way I was financially rewarded was by looking for what's wrong and trying to fix it, mm-hmm. which is a really great skill to have and absolutely ties to my whole childhood issues. Like I was constantly watching for what was going to break so I could fix it. So it was, you know, great job for me, but it means I was totally conditioned or in my case, it reinforced the conditioning from my childhood to just look around, you know, walk around looking for problems. And we end up doing that to ourselves. We do that to each other. People bring that home and, and they treat their relationships that way. You know, we end up looking for the, the things about our partner that bother us instead of just saying like, look, that's who they are. But God, I love this about them. You know, we, we, we don't celebrate the good stuff. We just focus on what needs fixing. Yeah. And that's uh, that is societal. And a lot of jobs are like that now. So it's like subconsciously or unconsciously. It's all getting reinforced. Right. So
0: what brought you to the recognition that others need so much help? What is there some sort of story that convinced you to go from all this self-help to actually writing Do A Day and, and being yeah. like such a, um, like a, yeah, like a producer of, of more people like you?
1: Yeah, so it was, it was a mix of two things. One was an accident or kind of serendipity. So like when, when I was losing weight, um, one of the things I felt was really important was to create a bit of social pressure and support. So I put it out there on Facebook, and I wasn't a big Facebook user. Um, I put it out there what my goal was, and, and I would keep little updates going. And people came out of the woodwork, and they'd start to support me, and some others would then send me a message and be like, hey, I saw, you know, I saw the progress you're making, that's awesome. And I should say I hit my goal um, like two and a half months early, and by the end of the year I got down to 180, which is basically where I've been since the end of 2011 without really having to focus on it. So that, you know, like I got there and people saw that and they saw it happen quickly and they saw how happy I seemed to be. Yeah, um, I'm glad we so did a video call. Called. You can
0: see right now that you look very yeah.
1: I'm I'm a little bit grayer and there's some more beige if I put my head down and you can see the top of my, uh, my scalp a little bit more but otherwise I'm smiling. Um, yeah, so people start to reach out and they're like, I, I love what you're doing. I'm really struggling with that. Can you help me or what did you do? And so I just sort of, I fell into the coaching thing serendipitously. So that was one piece of it. And what I found through doing it, and this was like a side hustle, you know, I still have my day job. I got out of that, that bad job i mentioned. I happen to have gotten into a worse job, but I left that pretty quickly and it made for a great article for Inc. Um, so, you know, it's not all bad, silver linings. Um, I'm in a, an amazing job now. And of course I'm, I'm building this, uh, this much more purposeful path through the book and everything. But, um, it was 2015, it was December, I was talking to a guy who I look up to as, as a mentor, and we were talking about um, what we had described as the last domino. So it's like, what's that last domino you're trying to knock over? Like, what's the ultimate place you're trying to take this coaching work? Because what I was saying to him is how much I love the coaching, and I'm like, you know, it's not about the money, it's about having an impact on someone's life and helping them change their entire life, not just lose weight or find a better job. Like I don't work that way. I think it is very holistic and intertwined. I think usually if you're struggling in one area, there's an underlying root cause that is likely affecting more than that. Right. So the people I was helping, they were like these complete transformations and by their own hand, I was just their guide. Um, I just want to do more of that. I was like, if I did this 24 seven is what I said to him, I still wouldn't be touching enough lives. And he's like, well, all right, if that's your last domino, to think about, like, how do you impact the most lives possible at a scale that you can never do one on one? What's your path? Like, start to work backwards, domino by domino, mm-hmm. to bring yourself to today. Um, I was in San Francisco. It was at night. I had a flight the next morning to get back to Boston. Uh, that's where I'm from. And uh, I I went for a run along the es- the um, Embarcadero. As I was gonna say the Esplanade. That's Boston. Um, and it's just like it's an awesome setting. You, know, you get Pacific Ocean. It was like sunrise. It was perfection and i really really thought about each of those dominoes and with every step i was like working backwards okay if that's where i'm trying to get to in that step what's the one before that all the way back to just this complete clarity is like i have this philosophy um, that i've been and i had a name for it already i was already calling it do a day like i've been teaching people for years i've seen it work for myself like in a major way and for all these other people i've been working with I have to I have to get that message out, and I need to do it scalably, and I'm not the kind of guy to sell a class online, like, that's just, it's fine, but that's just not me. Um, I loved blogging, and I loved just writing from my heart, so it's like, I need to write a book, and the rest of my run, I structured the book. I got back to my hotel room, showered, packed, headed to SFO, hopped on my plane, and I just started typing. It was like a seven-hour flight, and I wrote about 30% of the book on that flight, and it was just like crystal clear to me exactly what i needed to do with it and that was the start of the journey so it was like you know the coaching thing kind of happened not accidentally but you know just organically and then the book like once it was clear i love that domino analogy like once i saw that last domino and i just step by step the cool thing with dominoes is if any of them's askew or it's out of line the last one won't fall you know, like the chain breaks. Mm-hmm. So when you when you're faced with all these things to do, and this is something I face on a daily basis, you gotta ask yourself, is this really in line for that last domino or is this one slightly askew? And if it's slightly askew, you really should challenge yourself whether you can do it, or or should you actually pass on it?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We we have to make those priority calls. There's too much good to achieve in life, and there's a million things taking our attention. So that, that analogy, I don't think he realized it when, uh, when he mentioned dominoes, but that analogy has been huge to me. So um, you know, a lot of thanks to, to this guy, this mentor that I work with.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like going on a run really created a lot of clarity. And, and you were also probably had primed yourself before that to be at that perfect place to where those dominoes could line up for you. That's really For sure.
1: For sure. I was charging towards it. I just needed, I needed someone to help me structure my approach a bit more. And and he inspired that
0: yeah, so my question is about like if the dominoes are out of line for people they're kind of staggered or missing How yeah, how do you do you stay motivated? How do you recognize that? How do you align them when you're hitting these roadblocks having failures? What do you tell your clients?
1: So I, I rely on a few things the first and foremost is around your motivation so um motivation is not you know someone cracking a whip it's it's like you know you call it purpose it's your values it's it's this one thing that is of the utmost importance to you above all else you got to get back in touch with that so just ask yourself if you're if you're having that feeling is like how does this tie back to it and not everything's going to show directly like if it's about you know my son and and all those emotions i was talking about how does you know I don't know, filling my car up with gas seemed to connect to that. And do I really have to do that mental exercise if, if I need gas? Um, I'm an electric car, so I don't actually have this problem, but I'm theorizing, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well he's going to want to go to karate later and I'm going to need that to be able to like, you can make the connection. No, you don't have to do it with the little stuff, but the big things that are going to take you away from what you think is most important, if you want to evaluate it. So like, you know, um, I have to make these judgment calls between how much I push myself with promoting the book versus my day job versus being at home. And with every opportunity I get, um, I'm doing two TED Talks this year and I got asked to do one that's on a weekend, which is great. It makes it really easy for my day job. I don't have to worry about, oh, I got to take a day off or whatever. But it does mean I'm not going to be at home that day. So what, you know, how does that fit into the trade-off? And so then I need to go through that exercise with myself and ask like, okay, what, what would this do for me and how does that tie back to my motivation, my, my values versus how would being at home and spending the time with my wife and son tie back to them and which is, is the one that's aligned to that ultimate domino. So that, that's, uh, that's how I tend to do it. I did hear a really useful tip that um, actually from a friend of that mentor, he said there's only two, two feelings about anything you have to do in life. One is love and one is hate. There's nothing in between. And it, he uses that mentality as a forcing mechanism. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's do and do not. It's like Yoda, right? Like there's do and do not. There's no might or maybe or anything in between. So it's like, ask yourself, do I love that or do I hate it? And it's hard. It's really hard because you get into like, well, or it's a little gray or yeah, but if you're qualifying it and kind of talking around it, you probably don't love it. So if hate's too strong, at least like love and not love. Mm-hmm. But if you don't love it, don't do it. That's kind of simplistic. There's some stuff you may still have to do, you know, paying taxes or whatever. Um, but when it comes to big priority calls, ask yourself, which is the thing you actually love and do that one. It will work out, believe it or not. It may not seem like it in the moment, but it will work out right in the end.
0: Right. So for you, what is that motivational pinnacle that, what is your purpose?
1: It's, uh, it, it was about, you know, my son, but that's that embodiment of it. So for me, it's about living a life that I feel it's a, it's a contribution in my life. So it's having an impact on others, going through what I've gone through and feeling the way I do now. I want the world inspired by that. I want other people to feel that, And you know, first and foremost, and that is my son. But actually, if that's step one, this is step zero is I need to feel that. So it's doing things that allow me to continue to feel this inspiration. And that's why, you know, I, I have a day job still, I mentioned. Um, it, it's a big job, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of my energy, and I happen to love it. Um, so anything I do outside of that, like, it's pretty tough energy-wise. Um, and so all the stuff I've been doing with the book and speaking and coaching and all that, like, it's a huge commitment when I don't have that much left to commit with. But I recognize just how crucial it is. Like, this is my purpose. And I think it's really hard once you're aware of what your purpose is to live out of sync with that. Yeah. So, you know, it's hard when I'm in the day job. And I have moments where I'm like, I would much rather be, you know, doing X, Y, Z tied to the book or helping someone rather than dealing with this like corporate issue. Um, and what I remember is that day job right now is facilitating all the things that I love. So yes, of course, I would rather be, you know, giving a talk to people in Hawaii or something like that. Sounds awesome, or in Thailand with you. Um, but that's not a reality right now because I do have this job, and I need to keep it. And um, these are things I have to do for all that to be true, which allows me to publish my book and you know do the speaking stuff. And you know, TED TED talks, you don't get paid for them. They don't pay for your travel. Well, I'm lucky that I have the means to pay for the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's like it's a give and take, but I'm aware of how it ties back to my purpose. And even if it's not directly my purpose, it's a facilitating tool for it. So I can still find value and comfort in it.
0: So what's your one or two sentence purpose then?
1: How you it's, uh, it's to have an impact. And we can talk about all the recipients of that impact, but it's that simple. I know mm-hmm. what I feel with the transforming transformation of my life. So that impact is about having that feeling much more broadly, like for the world. And that's a huge, broad audience. I don't really care. I want everywhere. I want everyone deserves to feel that. And that's what we all want. Ultimately is we all wish to be happy. That's one of the core precepts of Buddhism is everybody wants everyone seeks to be happy. Mm -hmm. So I think what I talk about helps people be happy. So, I want that out there. I mean, that's like that's a beautiful thing for the world to achieve. And right now, especially, I feel like there's a lot of unhappiness and hatred. So, wouldn't it be better if we all appreciated that we're all kind of looking for the same thing and that's for ourselves to be happy?
0: Yeah. So, you start with yourself, getting yourself happy, fulfilled, and inspired. And then you seek to impact others outwards in order to find their true state of happiness by
1: being. Yeah. Honest. Buddhism would reverse it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it would say, don't so, worry about
1: yourself. Which direction um, are which you? It, um, I, I value my own happiness, but I'm well aware of how much happier I get pleasing other people or make, helping them to be happy, even little things. Um, so with the, the snow in Atlanta today, there were very few people in the office. And I was like, you know what? It's kind of junky commute and you know, like people went through a lot to get here. I'm just going to go out and buy burritos for everyone who's here. Wow. And it was like like eight people plus me. It wasn't a huge thing, but it was like, you know, that's a nice little thing that just, I mean, it was like the rest of their day, they were all, they started like miserable and like, uh, you know, just trudging through to get into the office and all that. And um, it was like a happy, fun kind of atmosphere later. So that like holding the door for someone, saying thank you, um, smiling at people, like all those little things, I actually feel uplifted from doing it right so I think there's a lot of like my self-happiness will follow
0: so one other thing is buddhism preaches like a, a non-attachment as well like you can't be overly attached to people as as the source of your happiness so what 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 kind of place do you get in when you're being very isolated or in solitude um like for me I'm, I'm about to head to a 10 day silent meditation in thailand at a temple uh-huh. and, I think a lot of that's going to be really difficult for me because I, like you love to impact outwardly. Um, I'm an extroverted person. I find a lot of joy and happiness by, you know, talking with other people and finding out like, you know, seeing their light happen.
1: Yeah.
0: I guess when you're alone, when you have solitude, what's that source of purpose for you?
1: So I, I spent a lot of time reflecting on, um, a couple of things. One is, how i felt in certain situations so the times where i wasn't at peace where i wasn't happy where i got triggered i try to look back and understand why and um i don't know why people are surprised by this but it happens on a regular basis like i'm not perfect i'm not like everything's zen and and copacetic now like you know i have plenty of moments where i'm challenged and i get frustrated and um that that burrito order they put it through to the wrong location. And so like <laughs> I had to wait another 20 minutes for them to remake it, um, you know, like I was a little bit like, oh man, you know, but then I was also like, and it's burritos and it's 20 minutes and who cares? So I, I'm I'm interested in the oh man moments and that was pretty minor. There's others that have been a lot more major. So I do spend a lot of time in reflection. Um, I do think, so. so the non-attachment piece is really critical. And that's ultimately what I end up finding is I try to understand what I'm, what I was attached to that made me feel the way it. did. Like, why did I feel attacked? Why did I take that thing personally? And how else might it have gone down from the other person's perspective? Um, You know, if ultimately they're actually just trying to be happy, I don't think they went into it being like, my sole purpose in this interaction is to, you know, piss off Brian, It's probably like, well, they wanted some outcome that isn't necessarily aligned to the one that I went in wanting. And so they're just pursuing what they wanted. And that may mean that I'm a casualty. Like I said to someone the other day, I got cut off on the highway. And I smiled and I didn't care. And I think before this whole journey, there would have been a lot more horn honking and one of my fingers would have been raised. I'm not going to say which one. (laughs) Uh, I probably would have tried to cut in front of him. And it's like, what purpose? Like all that guy's trying to do. He wasn't like, that's a car that I'm going to get in front of probably like oh man I got to get home or I have to get to like it was some kind of commercial vehicle like I get to my next job he just wanted to be where he was trying to get to and there was a lot of traffic and cutting me off meant he was one car closer and that's what his happiness was about in that moment it wasn't a per like he wasn't just trying to be in front of me personally
0: how do you gain control of your impulses how do you practice mindfulness enough to be able to recognize I shouldn't put that finger up I should come forth with love because that's just not natural to a lot of people
1: no. And, um, I love that even like the Dalai Lama will say that, um, there's a, a, a Buddhist monk who I read, I was just pointing at her book, not that you could see that. Um, I read a bunch of her books. Her name's Thutton Chodron. Um, she, she admits it too, but like, you know, we all have those moments and the key is it can be done. It takes practice. And one of the key elements of do a day is like, just because you didn't do what you wanted to yesterday, You didn't perform the way you wanted to, or you didn't behave the way you wanted to, or something bad happened to you, or someone did something to you. It doesn't mean any of that has to be true today. And it doesn't mean it's going to ever happen again in the future. But um, just because I had one of those moments, it doesn't mean it's all over. I can still reflect and I can still practice. So it's meditation, It, it is that reflection. Do a lot of writing, you know, whether it's journaling or writing articles about it. Um, so pause, reflect,
0: I, and, pause, reflect, every pause, day, reflect every day,
1: and repetition. Yeah, the, uh, the brain is super, super teachable throughout our life.
0: Yeah, so. Yeah, what about the? What does your practice look like to pause and reflect? Do you have a specific uh, journaling technique you use or a meditation technique that you find to be particularly effective?
1: Um, so for journaling, I really just write, I mean, this is how I write everything. I just write as the thoughts are there and I let them develop, um, which is how, like, I mean, I write business articles that way too. Um, I think I disappointed someone who asked me how I write my articles for ink Uh, because i write for ink magazine every week and then or how long it takes me i think they were expecting hours i'm like uh 20 to 35 minutes something like that because it's just it's how i feel um so i do i do allow the feelings to come out um i think uh being grateful for something on a regular basis is really helpful and so it's a practice we have with with our son is every night you know going to bed we all just go around cuddling in his bed and like you know what are you most thankful for today and the only rule is you have to have something And, and the word most implies it's like the single greatest thing, but actually it's okay if there's two or three or four, I don't really care. Um, but it can't be zero. And what we find is, um, those little practices bringing positivity and appreciation in, they do lead to more of that feeling. So I think it's really important to end your day that way. And I start my day, even, even if I can only get five minutes in. Silence. No devices. First thing, when I wake up, I'm on my back, um, just peacefully breathing and just thinking through, okay, what is it that I'm here for? Like, what am I, you know, what's my purpose? What do I care about more than anything? The things that I, I believe I have going on today. How do I bring alignment between those two things? Mm-hmm. And what's, what's not sitting right with me? That I need to reflect on a bit. So usually I give more than five minutes, but you know, maybe I'm late for a flight or whatever. Right. Um, I do, I will cut something else off to make time for this because the paybacks there and repetition is important. So, you know, you miss a day, you may miss the next day too. Right, right. And your brain does better with that repetition.
0: So you live with a great sense of intentionality and purpose that you, that you just recharge yourself with immediately and then come back to on a consistent basis. So
1: I try my best to, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, what room do you leave for serendipity and spontaneity when you're thinking about designing your future? Like you, you, a lot of what I've read about your writing and your speaking is very goal-oriented. You, you work yeah. backwards, you break it down to short-term ones for a longer-term goal. What room do you leave for, for veering from that path and finding something that you know, is also extremely inspiring and yeah. a, a new dream for people?
1: That's an amazing question. Um, and it's not that I haven't thought about it. It's that I've never questioned it because I haven't thought about, like, I haven't thought about being as goal for focused could completely squeeze out the capability to have serendipity. And I actually was thinking about this this morning that, um, I don't believe in destiny or fate or predetermination at all. Um, because I believe we ultimately have choices with everything, even that which befalls us like well okay we can still choose how we respond to it. Um, and you know then you get into the existential stuff. It's like well if a boulder hits you and kills you then you're not choosing anything anymore. It's like okay, well, it's a whole other conversation but yeah I mean I've had so much of that in my life that even if I know like I'm trying to get to this place, I can have my my course plotted but there's so many nuances that i'm never gonna solve for and i'm never gonna like pre-mark out and even if i do stuff will happen and it will throw me off course and that's completely fine so i'm not closed to a shift along the way it doesn't mean in the moment i might not get a bit anxiety filled because that's kind of you know that, that underlying me that's okay i'm aware of it i can reflect and i can move past it but there has been more than enough openness in my life despite having some direction like it's not hundred percent of my life is goal focused there's plenty of stuff that isn't but even the goal focused stuff still has so much room for serendipity it's not been an issue like i've i've had so, i mean the whole reason why we're speaking today like everything around the idea for the book and how it went when it came out and all the people i've met like all of it totally serendipitous yeah and um I mean, meeting my wife, you know, my son's, like, there isn't anything in my life that I'm like, that's exactly the way that I planned it. And it was executed. I mean, I did a marathon that was five months of exacting training and lots of stuff got thrown off in that, including the final marathon, which was way off plan. And that's okay, because I'm still a marathoner. And uh, my next one will be a record then, because there's plenty of room left from the first one that didn't (laughs) go so well. That's okay. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, that's, really that's, a really,
1: that's a really cool question, though. I, I just never contemplated it. I see like they could be disconnected, but I think I just leave openness. I'm not worried about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I guess this is a matter of preference. I'm someone that I think benefits from having loose structure and then having a lot of openness to serendipity and spontaneity in, in between. Yeah. I, I spent uh, my last year in Thailand. I lived here for 15 months and I was teaching about four hours a day and then just seeing where life took me outside of that like i would want to read a book and then i'd want to go play basketball and then i'd want to i started a blog and then i wanted to take a bus trip by myself on a weekend and i wanted to see where i was going to stay by who i was going to meet like there's an element of spontaneity that i think adds a lot of zest to life for me um
1: that's awesome no that's awesome i um i spent a summer in china during college and um I had uh, Chinese class in the morning and then I taught English in the afternoon. And I actually, um, in a good way, I tested too high for Chinese class. So I got into a really high level and it was, I could do the work, but I had to put in so much time thinking and studying that if I wasn't in class or teaching, I was in my room literally like nonstop. Like I didn't even go to like the little shack around the corner to grab food because I just couldn't. And so I went to my professors and I asked if I could be demoted to a lower class, which is the one I should like would have been a natural step from where my my studies in the U.S. had been. I did that, you know, and people were like, how could you do it? And, you know, that's a really bad move. And you look, I was like, I didn't come to China to sit in my room, you know, and to to feel like. I can't even speak because I, I have to spend so much time. So like I came here to be immersed in right. the language, culture and all that. And so I took the demotion and I didn't really care what anyone thought. And I got out into the city for a couple hours every day and I met people and I you know went to different cities and like what a waste of an opportunity. Yeah. So I had my goal, you know, I I had a fellowship, I was there, I was studying, like, you know, I was going to end with the AP credits or whatever that I was trying to get. It's not AP credits, I would have been in high school, whatever it was. Like I had all the things that, you know, I was there to achieve. Um, And if I had just a goal, fo- purely goal focused, I wouldn't have done what I did, right. but I would have walked away empty.
0: I know that like, um, I a, a thought I've just had is: it seems to me that, um, this whole really m- micro, macro goal focus is also something that employ- employee of, of your own life people adopt. And so it seems easy to fall back into a trap of, yeah, I'm in China, but I have this thing and this thing and this thing I need to do. So I need to be on my computer this hour, this hour, this hour. I have to yeah. limit this conversation to a certain amount of time. I, like living a very structured, rigid, scheduled life. And then you, it seems like you could fall back into the employee of your life mindset and you get yeah. lost in, in those weeds. So yeah, do you have, have you had any situations like that where you got to sure. like allow people to just allow room for,
1: you know? Yeah. I think uh self judgment is actually the main culprit. It's not oh. the goals. It's, um, cause I've been there. It's like, I used to be a lot more uh, paranoid about not working out. Like when I had first lost weight, I was so deathly afraid of gaining weight again that I was just constantly working out and it was like anything that got in the way of that I would just be a monster to be around. And I planned my life around (laughs) protecting my workouts, whether it was the time to work out or like, well, if I don't get into bed by this time, then I'm going to sleep in and then I'm not going to work out in the morning, like just catastrophizing. So, um, I had an opportunity to to do an interview with uh, a show in the UK and you know, the time zone difference, um, I appreciate you accommodating right now, but you know, they're five hours ahead. And the only time the guy records is 10 a.m. GMT, which is 5 a.m. for me. And that's, I'm usually up between four and five. So like I'd be awake for it, but that's when I'm in the gym. And I knew I had, you know, stuff going on at work and I was fine. Like I wasn't going to be able, I wasn't gonna be able to work out the rest of the day. That would have meant I missed a day of working out. And I don't miss a day of working out. And if people find out about that, or if I gain the weight back on because I didn't work out that day. And it's like, dude, this show's awesome. You, you know, I was a listener to his podcast, I loved him. Like, why, why would I fight that? Because you know, I needed to do three miles on the treadmill in my mind. Like, what a, what a waste. And that's all judgment related. You know, and it's all anxiety. So I, I was just like, here's a great opportunity and somehow you will probably weigh about the same the next day and no one's going to be like, he's a fraud, you know, take his certifications away. He's nothing. Don't buy his book. Like, you know, go on Amazon. It's like, I saw this guy I didn't work out the other day. Like he's full of it. Don't believe him. You can't lose weight. Right. So it's just like letting go. I, I do think, um, a lot of type a people
0: think, have a lot of trouble letting go. I just talked to sure. um, a girl who went four years straight at an undergraduate at USC then four years straight of medical school at Columbia. Now she's got her own practice. And she hears that I'm going to Thailand, I've been in Nepal and I've been in Cambodia and I lived in Morocco and all these things. She's like, I really want to,
1: uh,
0: it's a positive judgment and slash jealousy, but also like a a kind of an admission that she can never do that. I'm wondering what that's about and what you would respond to someone like that.
1: Well, I think she was caught in a trap, you know, and, uh, some of us are raised that way. Um, others it's, it's a bit of our personality, but but not everyone has a problem with it, and so, I, you know, I fully respect, like, everyone has their preferences, and as long as you're okay with that, genuinely, deep down, like, not you don't have to tell me you're okay, like, you're answering for yourself, you're genuinely okay with that, and that really is what you care about, as long as you're living with purpose, I'm good, yeah. um, but I think a lot of people deep down aren't, and I think a lot of people deep down are probably a lot more broken than they realize or they want to admit, mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's that's the ones I feel less good about. It's not, it's not for me to judge one way or the other, but I do wish better for them. But they got to be in touch with it. So she has that feeling. I'm going to predict there's going to be a breakdown point where you know she goes nuts, according to you know whoever has been watching her career. Oh, she you know she gave that up, and I don't know she flipped her, you know whatever, like just packed right. everything up and left. But that happens. Is people like you boil a pot and force the lid down, eventually it's going to burst. Yeah, uh, so I'm going to see how that plays out. Um, I do think, you know, the best time of my life was when I was marathon training. It's because I was in between two jobs and I started working for a startup I had been advising. It was like my days were my own. I wasn't beholden to anyone. Was, there was no type A about it. You could say like marathon training is pretty type A. It wasn't about that. I was out there at dawn every morning alone. It was all thinking like that was pure philosophy, except the long runs. About half of it was like, wow, it's really hard to suck water out of this bottle because I'm really tired. (laughs) But the rest of it was all like, it's just beautiful. It had nothing to do with like building to the marathon. Each run was just beautiful in and of itself. That's that's not very tight day.
0: No, not at all. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, One thing we haven't really touched on is the role relationships play in your purpose. Um, you have this 50, 75, 100 rule. Um, I wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit more and kind of how it relates to your path of purpose. Like it it seems as if relationships can work, you know, in a very positive way towards your purpose and they can also really hinder you. They have an inherent giving outwardly to another person where you seem to kind of be sharing life sometimes. Um, I'm wondering how you maintain independence, Towards your own self-fulfilling p- purpose, but how you can also include other people in a positive manner that impacts them and amplifies the impact of, of your purpose.
1: Um, so I'm stuck in what to answer because fifty, seventy-five, one hundred is about relationship dysfunction. Well, and let's I think,
0: talk about that second. Uh, there's an. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, it, there's an underlying similarity here, and, and it goes right back to the non-attachment point that we had before. So. Um, you can allow someone in and to be a part of your journey without necessarily attaching to them. And and non-attachment is about, it's it's not about um, not loving them and not respecting them and not valuing them. It's about getting past the point of just feeling that way and, and actually latching onto it and building them into something that they aren't, you know, getting attached to that idea. And so all you're really doing is setting up for, for being let down. So if you know, like, if you put all of your success on the shoulders of this amazing person and a lot of times, like it's easy to think in a romantic situation, but this can be professional. It can be, Mm -hmm. you know, parent, it can really be anything. Um, you know, there's all kinds of after-school movies where like a kid is, is left alone after soccer practice and the parent forgot them and the kid's all dejected. Like, I don't care who it is, but someone who you're attaching to, to them, some form of perfection, minor or major. And guess what? We're not perfect. So, at some point they're going to let you down and you're going to feel a lot worse than you would if you hadn't been attached so it's you know it is really important to have a social network there's i don't mean like facebook and all that you know like actual humans that you are connected with as a person um there's tons of research on that that, you know feeling supported feeling uh loved and connected with others really does have value we're, we're I, I believe that we are social beings and we care about each other. Um, we care, you know, we, we, and we want to be cared about. And that's kind of the first principle of, for children is they just need to feel cared for because they can't take care of themselves. And that, like, that's where my anxiety came from is I didn't, because, um, you know, all the stuff going on with the divorce, I didn't feel like my needs were safe in terms of being taken care of. Um, I don't blame my parents though, because they, you know, they were doing the best they could with the tools that they had. And I didn't expect them to be perfect. And I was like four. So I don't know what I really expect and didn't expect at the time. But I know looking back why I'm not struggling with it because I'm not stuck in this, like, you know, you're my parent. You had to be there for me a hundred percent of the time and you weren't. It's like, well, that's not realistic. Right. So why am I going to hate them? And like they were struggling and going through things too. So in a world of non-attachment, where you allow for, or not allow for, you, you embrace the fact that we are all actually just seeking to be happy. Then you start to understand like everyone essentially is doing the best they can. And it may not be what you would do. It may be to your detriment and it may not be good enough even for them, but for whatever reason in that moment, that's the best they could do. And maybe it was something bad Maybe they're very broken You know, maybe they couldn't see through whatever they were going through. But ultimately we all do the best we can in pursuit of happiness for ourselves. Yeah. And when you just like, just allow that as the baseline instead of perfection or, you know, it's like you meet someone in your twenties and you get married and they're stunningly gorgeous. And then, you know, life happens and you guys age and the guy with the great hair is now bald and the woman with the great body has had a couple of kids and, You guys both like to go for ice cream and and it shows like, (laughs) you know, so so you're not going to look the way you did and that's okay unless that's what you were attached to. And so then you see people who stray because they're seeking for this unrealistic attachment to a physical, um, you know, physical persona that's just not going to exist anymore. So
0: what should we attach to? Do you believe in a higher power or God or supreme being or energy?
1: I, so I do, um, that doesn't necessarily help with an individual relationship. So I think what you, you don't attach, but you allow for people are a mix and, you know, Buddhism's got this whole idea of, um, we're, we're, we're dependent beings or dependent arising. So it's like, you know, I might think you're great. Someone who like didn't get along with you might think you're terrible. Well, you're the same person. So both of those perceptions of you are our own based on our interactions with you. you. You're not just great or terrible in and of yourself. Like it's all about how we interact. Right. Um, so, you know, whether you believe in a higher power or not, that might help you see through these things and see the inspiration for it. And that can be helpful. But when it comes down to these two individual people, yeah, I think the word allow is a really crucial one. Like you have to allow for people to be who they are, and for you to allow for that to be okay. Um, and by the way, you're people too, so this also means you. Like, how do you feel about yourself and mm. self-love and self-respect? Mm. Um, you to allow for yourself to be, you know, it goes right back to that conversation we were having before. I think that's that's really, really important. And that's a lot of that's at the heart of 50, 75, 100. Um, that is, uh, it's all of those things. And then it's like, look, when you're in the midst of, of an argument with someone, you each have half of it. You know, there's you and there's them. So that's the 50 part within you, you're split. So half of you is, is the stuff you're putting out there. And, uh, you know, the the words you're using the, the nonverbal cues, the emotion you're putting into your voice. The other half is what you're receiving back from them and how it's making you feel. And there's a choice in that, you know, you're choosing your response, whether you're conscious of it, whether it's easy or not, like I'm not saying that, but you do choose how you respond to them. So you're split in half yourself. Which means 25% of, of this whole is your half that you're putting out to them. Yeah. So you've got you get your half plus this 25% you're putting out in their direction. That's the 75. And they're, they've got the same thing going on. It's the same dynamic. If you can control how you're processing what you're receiving, you can control your outward actions, then you've controlled your half by controlling your outward actions and not antagonizing or making it worse or attacking, but actually, rec- like you can control these things by recognizing all these principles we've been talking about, non-attachment, dependent, uh, you know, dependent beings, dependent arisings, and this notion that we all just seek to be happy. If you can use those three things to control your contribution to this argument, You've covered your 50%, the other 25% you're putting out there, which means you're going to influence, I won't say control, but influence half of what they've got going on. So, you know, once you fix that 75% of the whole thing, it's pretty easy to see that you're going to get to a better place, which may just take a bit of humility to get to 100% and be like, what is what is winning? What is being right? You know, it's not like your side wins. You know, they're saying something you don't agree with, but ultimately, like, you agree with where we're going, it's like let them think the crazy thing that you think is so off base. You know, like so they're saying that, you know, you swore at them when you really didn't do that and they just misheard you. Okay. You're you're gonna sit here and argue and be like, I know what I heard. No, you don't. Like, right. what are we gonna achieve? Like you can apologize and be like, I really don't think I did, but gosh, if I slipped and said that, I'm so terribly sorry. You're absolutely right to be offended and validate their feelings. Yeah. And I'm I'm really gonna make a conscious effort never to do that again because that's not you don't deserve that
0: right awesome so what are some of your long-term or bucket list sort of goals you have in relation to your purpose
1: um so it was it was a few things outwardly focused like getting a TED talk and, and I'm I'm doing that so uh,
0: awesome congratulations not, that's one of mine you. too it's,
1: um you you can do it I've, I've proven that like it's uh It's not as impossible as I thought, but I will say um, those sorts of things are, they're not about the singular achievement. It's that if I'm doing that, it must mean that my message resonates, which is ultimately where I'm trying to go. So if I'm trying to get to this place of having that impact, that's just, that's a measuring tool for it. It's like, how do I know? Um, So that's something that's really crucial to me. Before that, you know, I was, I was working on that, but pretty much every day I've heard from someone who's read my book or heard my story or something. And they've talked about the impact it's had. That's like, that's the biggest validation for me. I really don't care about book sales or or any of that. Like, that's great. But to know that I didn't write the book to make money, I wrote the book to have an impact. And I believe if you have a meaningful impact, money, stability, like all those things will follow. If you go into it to make money, you're probably going to fail. Or you're just going to be disingenuous and you're going to fail yourself right so i went into it for my purpose whatever happens financially happens but i i hear it on a regular basis that is resonating so i'm like this achieved what i wanted it to achieve and i'm really satisfied by that
0: that's awesome what are you what are some of the things you want to put in your ted talk
1: um so one of them is on do a day so it's talking about you know this approach and, and i tell a little bit about my story um, to try to help inspire the audience. So I give them, you know, like here's a self love piece. Here's a motivation piece. Here's how you set your goals. Now here's how you're actually going to live it. And that's do a day. The second one is 50, hundred, um, which will be my second book, which I've started, um, not as quickly as, as do a day went cause there's a lot more research that goes into it, which is, you know, all the, the Buddhism basically is the, the core of it. So I've been doing a lot of reading, um, cause I want to do that justice. And I want to learn more. Um, So the second TED Talk will be, I think it's in May of 2018. And my hope is to have 50, 75, 100 out by the end of the year. Um, So And we'll see beyond that. I'm not really worried. I I just kind of, I just don't sweat stuff. Like, I've got things I'm trying to achieve. And whatever happens is going to happen. And that's okay.
0: Yeah, cool. Do you have any advice for people that maybe are, are in a similar spot as you, they have had that traumatic event, they have recognized their purpose, they want to give an impact outwardly. How do you get started with that?
1: Um, start putting it out there cause you can, that's the huge difference today is there's nothing holding you back. So you don't need to make any excuses. You can start a blog, you can write articles on me. Like there's so many different places you can put your message out. I strongly encourage you to just do it and it may go nowhere but you'll grow for it. Like one thing I was really clear on when I wrote the book is if nobody buys it, I've still achieved what the, the bare minimum of what I'm hoping to achieve because I've grown tremendously through the writing of it. Like it was, you know, it was the ultimate journaling exercise. Right. So even if not, even if I don't publish it, I will have achieved something major. Another thing is not publishing it isn't, that's not good enough for me because I can do that. And so that would have just been giving in and giving up. So I at least needed to publish it. That's very doable. And I don't care if it ever sold. Like, I knew my mother would buy one. That's, you know. So, like, I'd sell one. My dad probably would, too. So there's two copies. But beyond that, I just didn't care. And then you have moments where you're like, oh, I'd love to sell 30,000 copies or a million copies. Sure, but that's not about purpose. So you can put it out there. And if one person reads it, good for you. If no one reads it but you feel gro- growth from it, even better.
0: Yeah, awesome. Huh, that sums up why I started a podcast. Thank you. Perfect.
1: <laughs> that was not planted, right?
0: <laughs> nope. Yeah, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I know you have another interview coming up soon, so I'll let you get going. I appreciate you reaching out and sharing your message. And it really resonates with me. I'm sure it will resonate with my listeners.
1: Oh, I really appreciate that, and I appreciate you asking questions that get me to think. Cause that, Like the serendipity versus goals one, that, that's Never thought about that. I love that. That really it got my mind going. So thank you.
0: Good. Well, you got. I mean, you're ahead of me. You got my mind going on several things that I had to think
1: about. <laughs> awesome. Good luck at your retreat.
0: Yeah. Thank you very much.
1: That's awesome. Thank you so much, man. I am. I'm not jealous because I don't do jealous. But if I did, I would be. That's <laughs> that. That's pretty amazing. And to do it. Are you doing it in Thailand?
0: Yeah. 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 In awesome. northeast, like rural part of Thailand, it should be pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, I love what you're doing. I want to keep seeing it. So good luck with everything.
0: Sounds good. Thank you so much.
1: Return. have a good day.
0: Bye, Brian. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. If you have any friends that might have enjoyed this episode or the podcast, bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published Hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sails and right your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming.